You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you think chameleons change their colors to blend into the background, you actually have it wrong. They're more like a mood ring, sort of compared to camouflage. They change colors to communicate with their friends, the other chameleons, and to show how stressed or what their emotions are. And it turns out actors are kind of like that, which is something we're going to talk about today. But uh, before we get into that, you may not know this about me, but I once had an iguana, and he was eight inches long, and he grew to be four and a half feet long, and he would sit on my shoulder like a parrot. And he was the same way, and he would absolutely change color. He'd turn this deathly gray color when he was stressed, and when he liked me, he'd sit in front of me and like kiss me on the nose. His name was Skippy, which is the least appropriate name for an iguana ever, but now you know a cool fact that no one else knew. Today's guest is an award-winning writer, director, producer, a creativity expert, an inspirational speaker, and the artistic director of Anthony Mindel's Actor Workshop which has studios in LA, New York, London, Vancouver, Sydney. This guy is uh, Shailene Woodley's coach. He's been a guest teacher at David Lynch's Masters in Film program. He's been a panelist at all sorts of transformational leadership things. And just an incredibly interesting guy, not just because he works with actors, but because what he talks about is hacking fear. In fact, almost everything he does is about hacking fear and emotions and worry. And he's, you know, top people who've won the Golden Globe and things like that. So his name is Anthony Mindell. And Anthony, welcome to the show, man. I'm really pleased to have you on today. Oh, thanks for having me. That was like a really nice, warm intro. Oh, <laughs> if, yeah, if you pushed a button, there would be like fake applause. You know I mean? So when you get feedback like that from an acting coach, like that means something. So yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, yeah. Thank you. No, you have a, you have a very presentary voice. You could, did you ever do voiceover? I've only done voiceover in my first documentary about toxic mold called Moldy, and I, I learned a lot from Eric Troyer, the, the guy who does uh, vocals and sound for Electric Light Orchestra was our sound guy. So he was like, Dave, your voice sounds like crap. You have to fix it. So he maybe beat some sense into me. Well, he did a good job. Oh, thank you. 
so oh, that was like I'm an like, awkward moment. No, I'm, I'm like, where do I start I now? Because there's so many things I want to ask you. Okay, and that's all right. We can always edit out anything that I say that I don't like, so people think I'm you know better than I actually am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, what I wanted to ask you about though is, you've had this chance to to teach some of Hollywood's uh, brightest rising talent. And that has got to be an incredibly hard thing to do. And I want to know, how the heck do you get into the business of coaching people who are like seriously kicking ass at that level? Because it's, it's not an easy thing to do, especially for actors, because it's such a strange skill set. I find it foreign to me. Yeah. You mean like being an actor, you mean? Well, or? yeah. Like, like not only are you coaching the top performers, you're, you're coaching top performers in acting, which itself is a very unusual skill set. So right. it's, it's like you, you picked the higher tier of performance, and then you picked an unusual subset of skills, which is basically to, to show people an emotion that you may or may not be actually feeling, yeah. and to do it in front of millions of people. Like it's, it's high stress, but it's also different than what a CEO or a pro athlete does. And so like, why that niche, and how did you possibly get into doing that? Because it seems like, like there aren't many people who do what you do. Well, I, that's interesting, because actually something just stuck out, like you know, when you were talking about a CEO or um, you know, a, a professional athlete. I guess what I'm kind of known for is getting people to understand that acting, to me, the, the, the art of like being an actor or being a storyteller, which we all are, is analogous to just being alive. And so my approach to it is really like all about, it's all about presence, it's all about the moment, and it's all about giving ourselves the permission to express you know, in, in acting terms, in the circumstances that we're in, doing it your way. But I find that like the, the work that I'm doing really, uh, people really respond who aren't actors because it allows them to just get more honest with what's going on for them and being brave enough to share it with somebody else, whether that's like a barista at a Starbucks, like saying hello. I think also, you know what I mean? Like, I think we're yeah. living in a very interesting time now where people are having a real difficult time connecting because of, you know, dum, dum, dum. That is a pretty cover, but that wow. is masking da, 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 the evil technology called cell phones. You know, everybody is like this all the time. So it's yeah. further, you know, creating this, this disconnect that I think human beings, our DNA is to connect because we come from tribal uh, consciousness. And yet it's also very scary to connect. So that's kind of the work that I'm doing with people. Did that answer your question? A lot of times I'll just go off on tangents. You'll have to like steer me back. So you're saying it's, it's kind of hard to connect with people, but what I want to know is, is there's tons of A-list actors. Actually, I, that's wrong. There are not that many. Yeah. So I say tons, but we're talking like hundreds, maybe a thousand like people who are like, everyone's heard their name and everyone knows what they look like and they're like uber famous, right? And so you're working on coaching these people, but there's a, a skill set that comes from coaching and there's a skill set that comes from high performers and there's a skill set that comes from acting. And when you map those three things out, it seems like it's a vanishingly small number of people. And how the heck do you get to the point where you are the guy who's you know, qualified to be the coach, where you have the right oh. skill set, where you have the right mindset, and where you learn all the things you know, because there aren't that many people who've, who've focused on that niche. And I, I just find it fascinating because the actors I know are some of the highest demand people and that the demands on their brain, like look good, stand this way, right. say these things, yeah. emote this emotion, yeah, remember sorry. your lines, yeah. and do it for 12 hours a day with bright light shining on you. Like it's, it's a horrible thing, yeah. but they do it. Yeah. How do you get to be an expert at telling those guys how to do it better? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I was an actor myself and I went up the ranks and went to school in London, went to grad school in London, worked and then moved to New York and was part of the whole theater scene there and then moved to L.A. And so I feel like not only just do I have a language with actors because I am one. You've been one. Yeah. yeah but also I think, you know, from an early age, even I was telling some of this the other day, like even from an early age, like when I was eight years old, I kind of knew I was a teacher because. Okay. You know, like I come from a family, there's four of us siblings, and I always found that I was kind of the mediator in the family. Like when there were problems, people would come to me or even in school, like from elementary school on, people would come to me and be like, there's a problem. And Tony would kind of fix it. Not that I fix people, but like I definitely felt like my skill set was able to like bridge disconnect. And, you know, so that's kind of like that's kind of how I I just kept evolving into teaching. And I feel like people who are teachers know that they're kind of teachers to their core. I mean, you're a teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, and it's just like <laughs> we find different modalities to express yeah. that gift. Um, and so that's, that's the whole thing. That's, that's what I do. And, you know, there's a really great uh, Sanskrit saying that the teacher and the taught 
together create the teaching. So for me, what's beautiful about what I'm doing is that I never feel like I'm here and the student is here, yeah. you know, uh, you know, applaud the teacher. It's really an organic, authentic process where together it's all about problem solving and facing our own fears and then together having a breakthrough in awareness or consciousness or action to like get to a new level. So we're all in it together. Yeah, if you're not learning from your students, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's totally it. That. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I still coach people like, Dave, you're a CEO and you're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I still coach for one or two hours a week with people because that's what keeps me learning. Uh, it, okay, so you're doing it because you had a natural inborn density. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And so because you're good at sharing this, you learn from top experts and you share with top experts, which is similar to the perspective I have on, on biohacking. But you also focus on something else that I think differentiates you and why I invited you on the show, which is that you're really all about risk-taking and, and the inner dialogue of fear, which I guess would come out in front of millions of people. So what's the deal about, about risk-taking? Like, Why is that so important and how do you coach it? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's really simple. Like the things that I teach are, it's very kind of Bruce Lee inspired. You know, it's like this. It's like, well, I'm trying to rub my tummy. It's like, <laughs> the core concepts are really understandable, but so it's simple in understanding, but the actual execution doesn't mean it's easy because again, I think we're like overcoming our life stuff, which is, I think we become very habituated in patterns of being that we feel safe and comfortable in. And anytime you want to get to a new level in your life, whether it's relationship or career or uh, health, whatever it is, right? Like you have to push through and extraordinarily large amount of resistance. So for me, you know, the work is always about just getting people a little bit more conscious of where we're stuck. Because if you're, if you remain unconscious, you don't get unstuck, you know, awareness is the key. Okay. So now I'm picturing a, a, a good actor yeah. mid career looking to make it into the, the real big time. They come to you and they say, all right, I, I want to perform better. And you look at them and you say, you're stuck at X. What's the most likely X where they're stuck? Ooh, well, I mean, <laughs> that's a big, that's like a crazy good question because I think there's like, I have discovered that all, like just being a teacher, the things that mm -hmm. I most need to keep reminding me, ooh, that's like a power shake you're drinking there. Wow. Yeah, I, I wish I'm I like, could. We can cut camera angles, but <laughs> yeah. this is uh, basically a recipe from Bulletproof the Cookbook. Of course. It's, it's like blended up vegetables and butter and brain octane. That so looks I'm so like starving, good. So I'm like eating during your interview. No, so. I love it. I wish I could like <laughs> reach in and grab it. Um, okay, I lost. Come, come to the coffee shop. We'll make it for you. Okay, nice. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> yes, you have one in L.A. Yeah, yeah. yeah Santa Monica Bulletproof Coffee Shop. We have this exact kind of soup. Okay, I'm there. That's totally awesome. Um, uh, so Dave, sorry, where did, where, uh, like, where, where, where are we going with uh, note that? To, note to self, wait for awesome answer, <laughs> then drink crazy shake. <laughs> um, I was asking if, uh, if someone who's, who's doing well, but wants to oh, yeah. really kick ass comes to you yeah. and then like, okay, I need to come to a better place in my career. Yeah. And you look at them and you use your Jedi vision and you say, you're stuck. You're stuck at X. Like, look, what's the most common X? Yeah. Where do people get stuck? Well, I think the beautiful thing about acting as a metaphor for life is that, like, let's say we're working on a scene or we're working on a project. Like, where the actor gets stuck in the project is always analogous to where they're stuck in life. So there are no, I don't believe that there are, is anything called an acting problem. So when I'm trying to solve a problem that's not, like, when I'm trying to solve a scene that's not working or it's not mm -hmm. truthful or a moment, it's not really about the scene. It's not about the subject. It's really about, or the subject matter rather, it's really about the person in those circumstances that is withholding. So they could be withholding. They don't want to get in touch with their rage. They, they're scared to be vulnerable. They don't want to be sexual, whatever it is. And then if you just like pull back the optics, you start, they start to reveal that's where I'm stuck in life. And that's what scares me in life. And then if you pull back even further, you see how that's again, like, how that has resonance in their career or in their relationships. And none of these things are bad because they're all fluid and changing. But I just, I discover that every actor I've worked with, basically where they're stuck in the work is where they're stuck in life. And I, wow. I think that that's a real, that's why I think acting is, is the most tremendous metaphor for, you know, showing, revealing back to humanity what it means to be human. Because they're really like, they're not only doing it in the work, 
but the process themselves is working through their own stuff in the work. So it's like meta, you know what I mean? I mean, it's crazy, it's deep. It, it sounds really deep, I never knew that. I so, get so, so deep like, on it. <laughs> if, if, if an actor's having a hard time, say, like, like being authentic, say, in, in like a sexual scene yeah, or something, yeah. then you're like, okay, like you have sexual hangups and you need to work through those in your life so you can do it better on film? Is, is that... Well, I wouldn't call them sexual <laughs> hangups, you know what I mean? Like, because I think the array of, of, of sexualness is, again, a part of... See, this, see, this is a really interesting jumping off point. It's like we have so much shame around sexuality. We oh, have yeah. so much shame Thoughts. around pleasure and touch and intimacy and expressing mm -hmm. those things, you know, in a safe, mutually expressive way. So, uh, and it's all based on the stories we've been told or what is, is and isn't okay based in religion. And so I think hang ups I wouldn't use, although they are, I guess, but I, it's kind of use that on purpose. Okay. To yeah. You, to be honest. Yeah. If but I were it, a bad teacher, other words, <laughs> yeah. you have, you have discomfort around some aspect of sexuality yeah. or connectedness on a physical level with people. Yeah. So because you're uncomfortable subconsciously, on camera, you look uncomfortable. Yeah, kind of yeah, and I don't even think I even think that stuff is even not just unconscious. I think we're my philosophy about being alive is that at the core level, we are aware of almost everything. We are aware. We are infinitely connected oh, to all. You know this to all information. Now the truth is, is we don't want to sometimes accept it, talk about it, name it, declare it, say it, be with it, live in it, open up to it. So we pretend that we don't know. You know, one of the things that I love saying to, to actors is like when we, when we get stuck in something and I say, well, how was that? Or what's the challenge there? And they're like, I don't know. Then I'm like, okay, well, if a part of you did know, what would that part say? And Dave, it's so crazy. They always, it takes them a minute. Like sometimes they'll still fight me and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and then it comes out and there's just tears or like light bulbs or mic drop. You know, we do know. It's just very scary to name these things. I did an exercise. This was a long time ago at a personal growth retreat, and they had you write a question to yourself with your right hand, okay. and then allow your oh. left hand to answer the question. And I'm like, this is such hocus pocus. Okay. It's not going to work. But of course, you're like there in a room with a bunch of people on yoga mats. So you're like, okay, I'll try it. And my left hand was writing stuff that I wasn't really planning on. And you're like, this is wow. scary. It's like there's something else in there, and that's that awareness of other parts of you. And wow, that is cool. Yeah, and, and so I, I recognize them. We say, well, what, what what would that answer be? You just sort of keep asking the question of someone, and magically, at a certain point after they've heard the question six times, something pops into their head, and it's like the key that unlocks wherever they were stuck. Yeah, I mean, how does that how does that tie to risk taking though? Like, like so, someone's unwilling well, to take risks. Well, you just you know, again, like my light bulb went off about you were talking about. Okay, so right, writing right-handed is left brain, and and left hand is right brain. So yeah. the fact that when you're writing left-handed, you're connected to the part that's not judgmental, not critical, not cerebral, not linear, is, we listen, there's a dexterity between them both. It's not like we're just right hemisphere or left hemisphere, right? So I'm not like oh, yeah. dumbing, I'm dumbing it down, but it's not that, uh, you know, black and white. It's not unreasonable to dumb it down that way. Uh, okay, right. But, but I think that that's the point is that when we are in our right, more predominantly in our right hemisphere, more, we're more willing to take the risk because our, the dialogue in our left brain isn't so loud or it still may be loud, but you do it anyway. So that I think the world of judgments is really, I think this thing about fear, I was thinking about our conversation today because, you know, my blog is called Giving Fear the Finger and a lot of the work that I do is, I love that. is getting people to feel the fear and do it anyway, which that saying has been yeah. around forever. But I think that the, the challenge is, is we're not oriented towards self. And so what, where we keep from taking action or taking the risk is we're so externally referenced. So everything is about how do I look? How will I be perceived? Is this okay? Am I safe to do this? What will they think? Am I going to be punished? So that minimizes our ability to take the risk. So if you start to do it as an active practice, like, you know, drinking bulletproof coffee and getting healthy and going to the gym and being more mindful, you know, that's the whole thing is we're mindful of what we're eating nowadays, but we're still not mindful of what we're ingesting by what we say to ourselves. Well, well let's talk about giving fear the finger there a minute. Yeah. So I, I did masses of research. I've run an anti-aging research group for 10 years okay. uh, and I've, I've read all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what, the, the preponderance of evidence here is that cholesterol is probably good for you if it's not oxidized. Right. And it's certainly not bad for you if it's not oxidized. Therefore, eating lots of butter 
ought not to be a problem, but I couldn't really find much evidence of it. So I decided I would do this. And after like three months of, of doing like probably eight tablespoons of butter a day, when I first started this, I was doing a lot to see like what would happen. Okay. And, and I kind of sat down. I'm like, you know what? Like this is what everyone has told me my whole life will cause heart attacks. Right? I'm like, but this is the science. This is what the research says. This is how I feel, which is freaking amazing, mm-hmm. way better than I expected. Mm-hmm. So, like, and this is what the lab tests say. And it did take that giving fear of the finger moment to say, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep getting my lab values and I'm going to keep doing the research rather than sort of saying this might be dangerous. And a lot of people, almost any time they're going to make a change in their life, uh, even if with the right intent, there's that, that moment of reaching the edge where they say, well, I don't know what's going to happen. It might be dangerous. What do you say to someone who reaches that moment for whatever the change is to get them to give fear of the finger to get them to step over the edge? Well, I think, you know, what does James Cameron say, which I love? He says, failure is an option. Fear is not because you're still going to take, you know, who knows? Maybe you would have, you know, continued to do your, you know, your life research and then realize like, well, but this is the amazing thing. You could have continued to move forward and then discovered that it didn't work out the way you thought it would. But in the doing of it, something else would have revealed itself because you're in the world of action. So that's, I mean, yeah, that to me is really the whole point about being willing to take the risk is that it's not that necessarily you're going to get A, B, and C, which are maybe the things you've written down or the things that you're envisioning because it never looks the way it's going to look. But just by taking the leap, the beautiful thing about the moment is that other things reveal themselves that could not have had you not taken the leap. I mean, Goethe talks about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said it much more poetically, but he's like divine providence comes rushing in when you're willing to step into the unknown. We'll have to like fact check that, but that's, that's really it. Sounds, it. It sounds way more eloquent than the German would have been. Which yeah. Would have I, been a lot more, like, <laughs> you know, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you know, just do it really. And then you worry about, you know, it's so funny because I just ended up, I was just in Iowa shooting something and my DP on the way back, the, the cinematographer kept laughing and I was like, why are you laughing? And he said, he said, throughout the whole process of filming, you just said, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And you know what? If you're willing to like, it's very scary to stay in being open to things that aren't quite working out how you think, but it does always, you always figure out there's always solutions for things, you know, but if you don't take the risk, there is no, you don't have access to it. So that's, that's the point. That's core to the the hacker mentality. Yeah. And I don't mean just biohacker, but even like computer hacker. You're like, well, we'll just kind of find a way around that obstacle. Yeah. Even if it's kind of like a half-assed way and, you know, we left the obstacle in place, but we're past it. So, you know, it it got the job done Uh, versus we cleared an interstate through the obstacle with huge amounts of infrastructure and 20 years of planning and and all that. It's it's like just get there and get there good enough to to do what you want to do, which requires exactly what you're talking about. So... Now we have the situation where, where someone says, all right, I, I came up to this thing I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. I recognized that I had an inner resistance to it, maybe one I didn't know about. I stepped past it, right? So now they're going into the unknown, uh, the way you just quoted Goethe. So you're in the unknown. What happens to the typical client or, or person you're coaching when they go into the unknown like that? What's the next step? Well, again, I mean, I think that that's where the miracles occur. Because if you're, from an acting perspective, again used as, as, you know, an understanding of life itself is every time you're open to the moment and what it wants to show you, there's a gift there. And, you know, I just recently blogged about stay open to life or you're fucked. Like, I mean, can I kind of cuss on here? Sure. <laughs> or you're yeah. we'll, we'll mark this one. We'll, we'll mark this one explicit. Yeah, we'll, we'll put masking tape over your mouth. Oh, yeah. Just believe it. Fine. But like, it's true. But I, I think sometimes people think, oh, being open just means being open to the, like the, you know, lama dama ding dong of it all. No, be, <laughs> you know what I mean? The kumbaya. Term, right? Yeah. I'm so scientific. But the, the, the openness means also the stuff that's scary and weird and funky that we don't want to feel and that, you know, for me this year, just, I can only speak. I try to teach personally what I'm going through. And like, I've been going through like major, like seismic shifts of like nobody, I've never found anybody who's really teaching phase of life stuff. So as you get older and you start moving into different phases, different things change, but you, you're, like you're the, the Ericksonian stages of adult development. Oh. Is that what you mean by phase of life? Or like, I, I guess there is a book. About? I mean, I mean, I'm sure therapists and and psychologists have talked about it, but maybe even more of like from a practical standpoint of, 
you know, I'm, I can't apply my, my awareness of who I was when I was 30 to where I am now. Uh, and yeah. also being okay that my, my views about things have changed since then, hopefully. And that's all anyway, I am older. <laughs> Full, I, wait, no, this is going to go on the internet. No, <laughs> I am a man in his forties. Um, uh, I can respect that. So you're older than 30. There yes. There you go. Years older than 30. Yes. Right. So Me too. yeah, there you go. Well, you look amazing. That's the perfect advertisement for bulletproof diet, right I'm there. Seventy-four. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. You're as old as I'm Methuselah. O- I'm only forty-two. So. Oh, okay, nice. Um, so I guess that's that's the thing is like, but when you start to move into different phases, you have to be willing to let go some of the things that got you to where you are now if they're no longer working for you, and that yeah. is a very terrifying sort of proposition for someone. You know, I'm, I started thinking about Kim Davis, the the, the county clerk of Kentucky, yeah. right? And I know this is so crazy, but because she's so in, you know, our awareness right now, I just thought, wow, at a deep core level, what this woman is really being confronted with is that behind her, like, prejudice is an inherent dogma that, you know, has served her. Well, not really, but let's just say for, for the sake of her own life, it's gotten her to where she is. And now that made her feel safe. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the foundation now has been ripped open. So who knows? It could be a huge watershed moment for her to realize like that sort of dogmatic, uh, you know, uh, like holding on to those beliefs that are now making her question if those beliefs are even accurate or, you know, loving base, let's say, could be a really powerful transformational moment for her. But that's also really scary because that means she has to sort of reshift the paradigm about everything that she's lived up until that point. That's terrifying. So I have a lot of compassion for her, even though her acts are, you know, I mean, it's, you know, disgusting. Like she's, you know, prejudicial and homophobic and bigoted and but I still find like the, the the core universal stuff that she's working through is really what we all work through. Well, cognitive dissonance when you realize, wow, the world is not the way I thought it was. It's scarier than hell. Yeah. It's one of the scariest things you can have because yeah. your whole reality, the way you've built it, the way you operate within it, you're like, uh oh, like I'm operating on a set of rules that were false. Yeah, and, and when that sinks in, I, I, people like they have mental breakdowns and things like that. Do, do the people you work with, do, do they ever have mental breakdowns? Like, well, holy crap, I've been acting the wrong way my whole life because I believed X and it was actually Y. I, mean, uh, I imagine it's got to be kind of gut-wrenching, some of the work that, that actors do. It is. It's really intense. You know, I love that word cognitive dissonance because I try to get actors to understand you can be in rage and be in compassion. You can be loving and be angry. You can be, we hold all things collectively together all at the same time. There's no hierarchy of feeling, you know? Like, like I think the baseline of feeling is joy and it's, but, but the expression of it is just energy manifested through a specific feeling. So for some people, again, that's very scary because they're tapping into things that they have not allowed themselves to feel. And I really provoke people moving into those areas because that's also a cathartic experience for those people experiencing it. And for those people watching it, that's why I think everybody, all of your listeners should take an acting class. You can go to any of my acting studios around the world and it's, it is so much more than yeah. being an actor. It's about figuring out who you are in connection with another person in the moment. And that's inherently yeah. risky. You know, I, I second that notion. I, I've taken exactly one acting class at a California oh. State University. A while okay. ago, and it was I, I was taking it because it fit in my calendar. I'm like, <laughs> oh, geez, this is like basket weaving 101. Of course. Uh, but it was actually, it was challenging. Yeah. It was really challenging. And it was emotionally and, and like, uh, not physically challenging, but it was, it was more like emotionally challenging. You have to like really confront things that I never would have paid any attention to. Uh, so it, it is a, an exercise in self-awareness and eventually biohacking. Like if you want to change yourself based on changing the environment around you, if you don't know the state of the self, it's very hard to change it. Mm. So you have to have awareness to have control. Well said. I concur. So... Let's let's say that that someone who's listening to this who's not an actor did decide to sign up and take an acting class. Like, what happens? Like, what do you do to them in there? No, I mean, listen, it's all based on love and support and really honoring. You know, I think the big thing, Dave. Oh, of, of course, yeah. but just like, I'm, I'm well, assuming most people have never done it. They just have no idea. So, like, what would you do in an acting class? Like, 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 just kind of walk me through 
like like what would you do in, in the first the first couple of days or the first things like like what would the outcome of a few weeks of acting training be? Because well, I, I really think most people have no clue. You're right. I mean, but I think some people think like, and there are probably still classes that work this way. I'm I'm really kind of like I think we're on the cutting edge of like rethinking what it means to be creative. So that's very exciting. So a lot of acting training is still steeped. And, you know, it's the same thing with you. What you're doing is like you're an outlier. You're you're rethinking that which you were taught, which is what's exciting and inspiring about it. It's like, why do we keep believing? You know, Einstein talks about the world continues to expand and evolve. So to me, why isn't our consciousness about everything changing? So my 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 the maddeningness I feel sometimes about acting training is that, you know, it's like we're on an IBM computer working on IBM computer from 1980 when it's 2015. So. You know, our modalities have to change. And I think like, it's not like you're going to come in and be, I'm going to be a tree. How does it feel to be a tree? You know what I mean? <laughs> I love trees and I think they're obviously important, but I'm really interested in what you would do is in the very first day we work with material and you're forced to listen and listening. Um, you know, I don't, have you ever heard the Ted talk from all of my work is based in listening which is really about being, which is all meditation or consciousness space. And Dave Assay, who was the founder of StoryCorps, another Dave, it's a common, very popular name. Too many of us. <laughs> yeah. You should look at his TED Talk, uh, Dave. You would really, Dave, okay. you would appreciate it. He, he's the founder of StoryCorps, which is, you know, when you go in to the actual booths and you can record someone like a grandparent or a parent, some very... Uh, personal questions that you've always wanted to ask them. So you have a living record of it. And it, it's, it's become like the, the, the largest living record of vocal recordings in the Library of Congress. Oh, this is cool. We'll link to this in the show notes, yeah. but I have heard of this uh, now. Okay. And he, so he's not an actor. He's not, he was a, uh, he wanted to be a journalist. That's how he started. And he, his, fir uh, uh, his first experience was interviewing um, people who live like in a, uh, in a halfway house or uh, a homeless shelter. And he was so moved by the stories that people told. And his dad, I think what got him into it as well as his dad, he had never known was a part of the, the gay liberation movement in the 1960s. I think he was part of the Stonewall Act, right? Or the Stonewall riots. Okay. And right. he never knew that. First of all, he never knew his dad was gay. So I think he, wow. his dad had come out to him. And then his dad told him these stories about being in the four front of a, a revolutionary human movement, right? And so he, in that act of listening to his dad's story, I'm totally going to start crying. My God, it's so powerful. I cry a lot. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. Expected. Well, yeah, but I guess like it's not theatrics. I just like, I'm so moved yeah. by this. So his listening to his dad's story really made him realize the power of listening. So he created oh, right. StoryCorps. And he said it has been the listening has been the transformational uh, experience in his entire life. And it's wow. true. If you think about the entire universe is in is born out of listening because it's all in reciprocity. Listening is receiving and giving. L listening is a state of, of being. So I, I just find it, that to me is is so powerful and so simple. So you hear somebody say something to you and it evokes a reaction. And then are you brave enough to let your initial reaction be the response? That's scary because we have judgments about those responses. When you look at how someone absorbs uh, the world around them, right? You have, you have listening, which is ears. You have seeing. Mm. You have uh, like feeling. I, I think there's an emotional heart connection thing that's magnetic that you can measure with heart rate variability stuff. Oh, yeah, the vagus commonly. nerve. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. heart rate variability. Like, there, yeah. There's something happening yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's measurable, even though it's not widely acknowledged. But there's also like, like I think I said, touch. There's smell, and there's uh, like the, the tactile things that happen. You know, the hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah. And all these things, all of those are a signal. And, and you're focusing on ears as listening. How important are the different senses for people who are working on hacking their fear? Right. So you're saying first thing is listen. But what about all these other things? It feels to me like fear is almost more like a gut heart thing than an ear thing. Well. Okay, so interesting. I mean, I think you kind of touched on it. When I'm talking about listening, listening to me is we listen from every place. We listen from our history, from our autobiography, okay. from our fears. I mean, that's right there is the answer. When we hear somebody, if, if I ask somebody out on a date and they reject me, 
I'm hearing the, the words are neutral. Nothing happens to anybody on the planet that just things happen. They're not happening to me. They're not happening to you from a personal egoic identification. They are. It's like, oh, my God, I was so terrible or so painful. I got rejected. But but really, they're just happening. And then the way I process them subjectively for each of us is connected to my own story about rejection, abandonment, non-love, self-worth. See what I'm saying? So then that may trigger my fear and then ascribe meaning to this thing. I'm unlovable. I'm incapable of love. I'm ugly. Nobody's going to love me. I'm just using those as examples. But that's, that's the kind of work that I'm passionate about is if we change the story, it's not that, it's not that fear. I think fear is a very healthy, we just have to change our relationship to it and not hold us back. And, and if you understand that you can feel the fear and do it anyway, then you realize, I think that's the biggest misnomer is that people think they're supposed to not feel fear and then do something. But all the great innovators or creators talk about it's scary, but I'm going to take the leap. It's still scary, even though I, you know, Meryl Streep talks about that. You know, she's done how many movies and won how many awards. And yet I still, I know that she still feels the excitement as Fritz Perls says that fear is just, uh, uh, Oh my God is excitement without the breath. So we forget to breathe and we're overwhelmed. You know what I mean? That's a great quote. Yeah, it's a great wow. quote. He was like the father of Jungian therapy, I believe, or really influential in that movement. And so that's my thing about fear is that it's a lot of it is associated to our story. So, so if, so you're a, you're a fear expert. I want to have you do a little coaching with me and Ooh. I want you to tell me if, if okay. I'm, if I'm weird. Well, I know I'm weird, but okay. tell me if this is a viable approach and what you understand. And I'm, I'm totally happy. Like I'm looking for criticism here. So many years ago, I was at a personal growth thing okay. and I, okay, I grew up as an engineer, computer scientist, truth tables, that kind of thing. And I'm sitting there and the, the teacher there is, is doing stuff that makes me like kind of uncomfortable. It just, it's a group thing. And and Wait, like, what, well, kind you things? Things? what kind of things? What kind of things? Oh, she was touching. No, uh, she, <laughs> <laughs> no. it was uh, it was like a group thing. Like you know, get in touch with your, your feelings. feelings. Kind okay. Of, kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, this is lame. Like whatever. Like I want to go somewhere else. This isn't doing it for me. And and I, I was pretty closed off. And but I was physically uncomfortable in the room. And, and she said, Well, you have to be feeling something. I said, Yeah, I'm feeling pretty pissed off. Like you know, I'm not happy with where I am in my life right now. You know, not happy with relationships. But like I'm pretty pissed. She goes, There's other feelings in there. And I'm like, no, there's not. And so, like, over the course of the day, she sits with me and she goes, all right, is there a feeling, like, in your stomach? I'm like, yeah, my stomach feels a little weird. She goes, yeah, there's a name for that. And I go, really? She goes, yeah, it's called fear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? That's what that is? Like, I had no idea. And, and I realized I had this cognitive loop that was like, there's no rational reason to be afraid of something. Mm. Therefore, I'm not afraid. Therefore, that feeling is not fear. So essentially, I had taught myself to just ignore that signal coming in from my environment, which wasn't serving me very well, as you can well imagine. So I started out from there. I said, all right, great. I need to learn to recognize the signal. And then I realized, well, this is annoying because I actually have fear all the time about different things, and it, it pisses me off. So I've spent now 10 weeks of my life doing neurofeedback where it's essentially it's a lie detector, and you can go into altered states, and you basically tell your nervous system that the things that cause you to be afraid like things mm. that programmed mm-hmm. you to be fearful. Mm-hmm. I just tell my nervous system that they didn't really happen that way. And then I stopped having the fear response. So someone interviewed me yesterday and they said, tell me about your greatest fear. And I was like, holy crap, I, I can't find one. And if I did find one, I would like stick electrodes on my head and go in there and I'd Stay zap gone. that thing because I don't want fears like running my life. It's bad. Right. Now, does that make me like a robot monster? <laughs> or is that a viable approach to dealing with fear? Because it was the only thing I could figure wow. out that worked. But I walk around like in a pretty happy state most of the time. No, I mean, I mean, I'm not... <laughs> ever heard of that biofeedback what's it called again uh, it's called neurofeedback so it's neurofeedback. Uh, I, I do it with some clients it's called 40 years of zen and okay. we we train your brain to be in the same state as someone who's done 40 years of daily zen practice but what's really going on is a lie detector and if you tell yourself i'm not feeling that the lie detector is like uh, yeah you yeah, are you buddy are. Uh-huh. and so you, like you try to hide from your demons you can't hide from them when the computer is like liar 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 and eventually then you you come to face with whatever it is that's really holding you back and then when that happens, you're like, okay, you go into another state and basically re-script the story. Kind of like you can do reparenting. Mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. various things where, where I'm guessing you might do this or might refer people out to do this. Things like EMDR, where someone's had a trauma, the trauma results in them freezing up or acting in a certain way when they're exposed to some input, whether it's on stage or not. 
So I'm like, I don't like it when my nervous system does that to me. Mm. So anytime I can identify a pattern like that, I'll go in and I'll erase the situation that happened so that I'm cognitively aware that, you know, someone was mean to me in second grade, but that I don't automatically like clench up Mm. when that situation reappears Mm -hmm. in my life now. Well, I think the, the, the simpler solution is just tequila. I mean, that would always... <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you'd have something you could be to say here. I mean, but, well, Dave, listen... Am I, am, I mean, am I doing bad no, things? I, think it's, might, I mean, listen... People I, might say it's bad. No, I think it's interesting because if, if, if sort of that technology or that awareness is available to us, you try it. Like, I think the thing to me, what I try, what I've been... I used to be scared of everything, and I still get scared about a lot of stuff. But I think to me, the thing that I keep coming back to are two things. One is, I don't think there are any absolute states because if we keep thinking that there's an absolute place to be, you're always going to fail. You're never going to get there because you're going to be comparing yourself to an illusion and then you're going to stop. So when I mean like absolute states, like I remember there's a Rinpoche who when he was ready to, he was like 80 years old and he was in the hospital and he was on his way to the next wherever he's going. He's going to die. And his one of his uh, the devotees or one of, the, one of his pupils came to him and asked him, like, how are you doing or how are you feeling? And he's like, I'm scared. And it was like, to me, it was so interesting because we think that people who've been meditating for 40 years are, are exalted beings or do have a way of being in the world that seems to be they're in it, but, but beyond it. They still, we're still in a human body. And I think if we change our relationship to it, again, just awareness helps us to be okay with it. I, my whole thing is, is that most people act out of automated responses and they're, yes. they're not awake. So they're, they're yeah. asleep behind their own wheel of life. And so just the simplest act of just doing this, I'm just taking a breath, can help yeah. us just, the breath is, the breath is life itself. You know what I mean? But we don't do, we don't use it. We breathe like this or we just, we don't breathe. And so for me, my work in the last few years has also just changed to once I get people to just breathe more consciously, they drop in and then the fear turns into something else. So I don't know if I answered your question. I think, you know, I think I've, I think it's a bit of everything. You try everything. Another way to phrase it might be, and I'm just thinking about it because I wasn't planning on asking that, but you're, like I get to ask, yeah, no, ask cool. people's questions about stuff I'm curious about. So this is so fun. Uh, one school of thought would say the things that wrote those automated scripts, uh, th- those automated reactions you have, that those have value and you should leave the programming in place and just be aware of the uh-huh, programming. Uh-huh. And then, oh, look, there's a wave of, of fear, a wave of anger. But I'm so, I'm so zen, uh, for lack of a better word, that I'm just going to acknowledge the emotion. I'm going to let it wash through me. It'll not impact mm-hmm. me. And then I'm going to go on with my day mm-hmm. and do what I wanted to do. And, and that, that is a skill and one that I've cultivated. But I'm also lazy. Like, wouldn't it be easier? <laughs> yes. Like, like if, yeah. if, like, it just didn't happen because it wasn't serving me? Dave, like, I just, like, I just edit the code, right? Yeah. Well, listen, I think the amazing thing about technology nowadays, maybe there are ways of getting in there faster. But my whole thing about life is you can't skip steps. You just can't. You just cannot skip steps. I've tried to run away from things that, you know, I come back and like, it's still here at 40 something. You know what I mean? At 45. You know what I mean? So uh, it's like you just got to deal with it. But I mean, I think, you know, I think whatever helps somebody feel like they're moving forward is a beautiful thing. That's the most important Got it. So, so you don't have a strong opinion about whether leaving the fear triggers intact and accepting it versus editing them out. No, it, I, there's no science behind no, that. Yeah, like no science behind like which one's better than the other. Yeah, I'm just looking at it from like what what worked. Speaking of what worked, I mean, a lot of people talk about getting out of their own way or, or shutting up the voices in their head. Mm-hmm. And, and what's your advice as a coach when people say, "I want to, I want to stop getting in my own way," or "I, I don't want the." Those, those voices in my head, the ones that are trying to tell you the things you just talked about. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, for a lot of people, listen, I just think everybody, the science is in about meditation and, you know, my dear friend, Emily Fletcher, who you had on your show, who's, oh, yeah. you know, she connected us and I've been meditating for 15 years and more than that now. And like my whole life has changed because of it. And I used to be, like I said, so freaked out about everything and so neurotic and that doesn't mean that I still don't have those moments, but I do feel like I've transformed a lot because of meditation where, uh, you know, at some point you have to like come to terms with the things that I tell myself 
are not the truth. I've taken them, they're just, it's my belief system because I've been telling it to myself over and over again, but there's no validity that makes that true. Everything is a judgment and it's all subjective. So, I, you know, my other motto is just like, just what makes you feel the best? Does it make you feel good to like be terrorized by your thoughts? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, does that feel good? And you know, my, my short answer is for a lot of us, it does because we're so attached to our pain and our stories about victimization and rationalization and like staying stuck. Because again, to give that up means you have to step into something where you're going to be accountable at a new level. It's really about up leveling and like, I'm going to take the risk even if I fail. And that, that makes you deal with your shit, you know? Well, there, there are some famous examples of, of actors and actresses who are, you know, what was called egotistical, who, who are, you know, they're not nice to the, the yeah. people around them. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of angry of abusive types. <laughs> and then there's other ones who are just like, like truly kind. I, I'm thinking about Brandon Routh, who I, uh, oh, you I'm interviewed? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've, I've interviewed him. Yeah. Like we, we've gotten to be friends, but I, I've just I watched. We made bulletproof coffee on the set for him at, at Legends of Tomorrow, and um, but he knows the name of every single person there, mm. including like you know the the second in in you know, the second down the chain at, at the craft food services, right. and he's like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Like, there's not a bone of ego in him in a in a bad way. Um, and so that like, there's two very different camps that, that you could describe within actors. How do you treat people differently when they come to you for coaching? If they're the, like, I'm the, mm. the kind, humble guy versus I'm like, I'm full of ego, but I need my ego to be part of, you know, part of my character kind of thing. What, what's your, what's your advice for that? Cause I think that translates to everyone who's here. Like, like people, you know, either, you, you know, which side of that spectrum you fall on. Yeah. Generally, most people are somewhere in the middle. Well, I would never think that ego is a part of the character we're playing because ego, you know, that would become redundant because we're all <laughs> egoic beings, right? Fair point. Yeah, right. that's a good point. So my thing is, is I just try to really see through people and realize like, okay, that's not what's going on is they're really insecure or they're scared. Talk about fear. They're scared about something. So they're having to prove something else until they get a sense that they feel safe to be vulnerable or they're protected or you're on their side. You know, I get it. Like from an acting perspective, it's very scary because you're, you're just jumping. Like I said, I just shot something with one of my students on list who's extraordinary. And the scene is so intense. And she kept saying, now, Tony, I trust you. But she led from that, which basically means she doesn't trust me. <laughs> we were laughing about that. But then ultimately she did. She surrendered to what I was asking her. And then later on, she had an epiphany and she's like, it wasn't that I don't trust you because she's been working with me for a number of years. She said, I've never really allowed myself. She, she came in and replaced someone at the last minute. So she only had like, she had no time to prepare. I flew her. I said, Can, are you available? Can you do this? She flew to Iowa in like a day. Wow. And so she had no time for anything. And she said, I've never jumped into something without being prepared. And she said it was inherently scary for her. So, of course, what's the first thing that's going to come up is like, you know, she's going to be like that because to move into this domain of like letting go, surrendering, trusting, letting the moment happen is alien for a lot of people. But then, of course, it creates the most exciting work. She was amazing, like so powerful. So that's my thing is I just try to recognize, I kind of feel like I'm a detective with actors. I just, you know, you recognize it and you try to move through it. And Okay. That, that makes sense. You know, and listen, does anybody really nowadays, 2015, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody can get away with not being nice. First of all, you should just be nice. Just be nice. Like just, it makes the world a better oh my place. Gosh, so. what's the, yeah. what's the deal? Like, you know, or if you get triggered because I'm not here, to, we don't, you don't have to shame yourself when you get triggered and you have a reaction because that happens too. But then just be like, oh, I'm sorry. That's yeah, also, oh my God. How much does bullying in childhood affect the way Ooh. people like, like get these fears? I, I, I run across. It's so weird that you're I, saying I, that. I run across a group of people, people I've coached and people you come across online where you're like, like that guy has been seriously bullied. Yeah. He's still acting that way. Mm. Um, what What's your take on that from actors or anyone else? Well, you know, it's weird because I mean, when I was thinking about myself, all the fears that I had to overcome, like I was bullied a lot. And yeah, so was I. I, uh, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And you know, Dave, what's, oh my God, I'm totally going to start crying. See, it's still there. I carry it with me. Like I've healed through it. I've done, you know, like 
it's been an amazing part of the journey. But one of the things, ironically, that was so scary for me is that I would always have in, in high school, I would always have panic attacks about being in front of people wow. because I thought people would call me a fag or, or, you know, out me in some, I didn't even know what I was at that time. You know what I mean? Like I would, I, <laughs> I didn't even know what gay was. I just was like, I knew I was different, but it was scary. And I lived in the Midwest. And so for me, but it was terrorizing. Like we would have these assemblies and I was a good student and I was an athlete. And I was very successful. So like I would often be called on, but I would literally like to the point of vomiting because I was so scared of that. Wow. And isn't it ironic that here I am, I had an epiphany the other day, but like a lot of the things that I do, I never plan anything when I give speeches and I give speeches in front of like thousands, I've done it in front of thousands of people. Like I don't plan anything. And I realize, like, Oh my God, my greatest fear is to be in front of people and like to do stand up, and I like I have actors who do stand up, and I'm like I can't even go see their stand up work because it just scares me so much. Like, <laughs> what if it's, it's like, like fear wah, of wah. clowns, fear of stand up? Yes, <laughs> they're right there. It was because like it's, it's not funny, it's like so uncomfortable. And yet yeah. I realized like I had an epiphany. I was like, oh my god, what I do is stand up because I just where was I lecturing the other day? It was in, in Vancouver. I was like le teaching at our school there, right and I next door. yeah, and I lectured. Uh, it was just only like a hundred people, but I don't plan anything. And sometimes I'll say things that I think are funny, and people laugh. And sometimes I'll say something, and it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I'm like doing the thing that scares me the most. So without even realizing I was doing it. So I don't. Sorry, I went off on that boring story, but my my point was, I. I think the beautiful thing about our experiences is if look at how that experience of being bullied had has also creatively become a part of something that I work with that's made me who I am. So one could argue that all experiences are valid and needed and a part of your story, a part of your autobiography, you know? It's true. It's powerful. It, it is so bullying, but I bullying is bad. It. But bullying is bad. Yeah, it, it's you bad. Know? But you know it, it, that whole thing. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm. It doesn't mean that it was the optimal thing to have happened. And, and I, I run into clients, you know, who were bullied, and they'll shy away from a business situation because it's it's triggering the automated mm. business or sorry, the automated response, response system that you get in you know fifth grade when someone smacks you in the face, like you suddenly get this "I might die" thing. So now you know, someone does something in business that feels like a shot to the face, and you you go into that weird state that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm. And I'm just wondering, like, does that happen on the set where, you know, I would imagine that you would, if you're reenacting a bullying scene <laughs> and you're on the set and all of a sudden that gets triggered, does it trigger the real emotion that yeah. then causes people to have to do that awareness? Or is that not really something that happens to actors? I mean, uh, this isn't exactly the same. It wasn't a bullying experience, but I had a, a woman in class last week who was doing a scene where her lover has basically caught her... Uh, cheating and basically okay. is kicking her out of the house and it's quite in it's intense and uh it's intense like my palms were sweating watching it that's how real it is and um and then afterward and and the woman in the scene who's really incredible she would just sometimes like float out and disconnect and then she'd come back to the moment and then float out and afterwards i asked her i was like are you aware that you're doing that and in the moment dave it's so crazy because we record like my master classes you see, you just see her go like this yeah. and then that, and then she starts to cry. And she said, basically wow. like her, un, her realization was when she was a kid, she used to be left at home when her, her mom would go to work or whatever with babysitters yeah. and the babysitters would often be abusive. And like, so it, her own connection of being thrown out was kind of like things that happened to her actually in her past. So wow. I think for all human beings, we all carry trauma in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, what's great about therapy, what's great about uh, being in a movement oriented, like just living in your body in a physiological way, but also an emotional way helps us to, to move through where those things are stuck. You have to like, you have to free those energies up. You have to have awareness about it. Uh, so... I think, you know, awareness is the key. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you have to start moving through it, you know? You wrote about something called the Impossible 7-Day Challenge. 
of you know, oh, complaining for yes. a week. Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with complaining and why is it so hard oh, to stop complaining? I need to get back on that. Dave, thanks for that reminder. It's so <laughs> powerful because you realize like complaining is just a placeholder for you don't want to take responsibility. You don't want to get accountable. You don't like what's what, you know, complaining to me is a passive aggressive form of fear. It's really intense. You start to see like, oh, what's underneath that is you don't, you know, fill in the blank. You don't want to A, B or C. So it's easier to just complain. It's easier to blame. I think, oh my God, I'm going to, I need to do that right now. I was going to say right <laughs> when we hang up, but like right now, because whenever I complain, it's really my resistance to something, you know, I, right. I really encourage your listeners to try it. And it's hard. And, and the, the rule we had at our studios was if you complain, you have to go back to day one. So if you made it to day six and you're like, oh, I almost made it. But then you're like, why is my Starbucks cold? You got to go back to day one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I shouldn't be like promoting Starbucks. I should be promoting Bulletproof Coffee. But you they promote Starbucks. Well, Starbucks brought, brought like espresso to the world. Well, that's so they, true. They, they did. did. They did a good thing. And maybe Bulletproof can do something different. Well, I was going to say Bulletproof would not incorrectly make your coffee. Uh-huh. Right. Right. I, would, I would hope not. So you wouldn't have so, to complain about that. If, if so, I'd whine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you should try it. It's really intense. And it actually really starts to give you insight about why am I complaining when just to be alive is the most, you know, listen, I think Westerners also have a real difficult time getting their heads around 70% of the rest of the world's population is like living on like $3 a day. We got to get our shit together, people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm not trivializing what we all are going through. We all have hopes and dreams and want to move forward in our lives and be successful and happy. And that's all important. But I think we get so consumed with things that, in a year from now are just not even a part of our experience. But again, that's just, it's mindfulness. It's mindfulness, you know? It, it is. I want to hit one other big question okay. before we reach the end of the interview. Okay. Oh, it's so much fun. I know. I'm having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Are you? Okay, good. Oh, absolutely. You also write about uh, five rules for a better life. Ooh, and to remind like me, you, I, I don't change every day. All of them no. Posts, you're right. Tell me. Uh, so you talk about staying open when you, when you want to hide, shut down, or retreat. Yeah. Okay. Um, why? Well, like, I mean, we've touched on it because, stay, you know, the core of our existence is vulnerability. And staying open means you, you will be thrush, th- th- thrust into vulnerability, which is ultimately the most empowering place to be, which is, see, it's so counterintuitive. A lot of time when actors come to me or people, period, they equate vulnerability with weakness. We, we, no, that, our empowered state of being is the most powerful point of being. And so vulnerability means you're willing to show and be with someone else in a way that gives them the permission to be. So if I allow myself to cry, which is doesn't feel like, you know, even though I cry a lot, it's still not easy. But because I'm allowing myself to have that experience, I'm giving somebody else the permission and the understanding that it's also okay for them to feel. And if you're not open to it, I mean, then I think we walk around like robotic zombies. So I, I think being open is the key to life. You also talk about why you should embarrass yourself. Well, it's risk-taking. Okay. You know what I mean? Just, just for risk. You have to okay. be, you can't be risk-averse. If you're, if you're, if you're, I think if you start to, I mean, life inherently is embarrassing. It's just weird. I, I mean, it's embarrassing. You fall, I fall down all the time or I say inappropriate things or, you know, yesterday I was at the gym and I thought this guy was looking at me and I was like, Hey, and then I, he was like looking at himself in the mirror. I mean, he wasn't looking at me. You know what I mean? So it's like you, but you have to, you know what? If you're not embarrassing yourself, then you're not putting yourself out there. But people like live in this too cool for school zone and they think it's like, you know, let someone come to me. Bullshit. You don't have time for that. Okay. Then you talk about something interesting in this blog post okay. that you, you say, take the leap and the net will appear. Yes. And, and this is something that, okay, you're an entrepreneur, you're running a company worth $5 million. You say that to someone like that. I know. Like, like that triggers all the vulnerability things because if your company goes down, you feel like you're dying. That, that's the way most entrepreneurs feel. So yeah. what is this net appearing thing you talked about? Well, I guess the thing to get your head around is that it does not. Okay. What's the saying that John Lennon said? It all works out in the end, 
And if it's not working out, you're just not at the end. So I think he said that, right? Have you heard that quote? You're looking at me that. skeptically right now. I'm just You're like, like hmm. I make up a lot of quotes myself. Not kidding. No, no, no. That's the John Lennon quote. That is. <laughs> is I believe yeah. that. I don't know if it is or not. And my thing about taking the leap, it doesn't mean that in the short term, the thing that you were going for is going to manifest, is going to be there. But again, the science is, to me, the science is in. Just from like, you know, I realize like, you know, there's a lot of researchers that, that write books about you know, the human experience. And they always use the word, my data shows, my research shows. So they're academics who have control groups and they're all great. Like I can name many of them. They're all doing Ted talks. Right. And they've really helped start a new conversation about stuff. But I've realized like, I don't need a control group. My control group has been the experience of working with thousands of human beings in this modality of acting, which isn't acting at all. It's just allowing ourselves to be, be human. And what I've discovered is, is, um, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, taking, taking the leap is even though the thing that we may be going for, uh, the promotion, the job, the, the, the new agent, whatever it is, the girlfriend, that thing is not the final result. Something else that is correlated to perhaps down the line or indirectly related to presents itself. Whereas if you don't take the leap, you're like this, you're in a closed system. You took the leap to create your brand. This is the thing that we forget is all the successes that we've had in life are, listen, my whole thing, and I might be one of those five points is that we are littered, our lives are littered with failure, but we don't really remember the failures because the failures are also the jumping off point for success. And we're so focused on success, success, success. And then you don't realize like, well, in the seed of, in failure is that seed of success. So it's numbers. So if you don't take the leap, then you've minimized any from anything from happening. If you don't start on the path, you'll never get there. That's totally it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you said it much simpler than I did. Sorry. (laughs) I took four minutes and you said it in two seconds. Thank you, Dave. That wasn't John Lennon. That was uh, Sigmund Freud's second cousin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Now... The final question, okay. and I'm really curious what your answer is going to be here. It's one I've asked every guest on the show oh. for 250-something episodes. God. So no pressure here. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Given all the stuff you know, not, not just as an actor coach, but just your path through life, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to kick more ass at life, like I want to be better at everything, what are the three most important things I need to know? What would you tell them? Okay. Love, gratitude, and service. I mean, awesome. that's it. Look, totally going to start crying again. I mean, that is it. Oh, that's uh, th- that's very uh, very pithy. In fact, that would be the shortest answer and the <laughs> fastest answer ever. See, I was trying but, to match you, and you're like, but, but also, no, that that's one that is very much in alignment with with what I would have said. So, I, I think uh, I think you nailed that one. Um, executing on those things definitely takes some learning. Oh, some for skill, sure. But yeah, th- those are the things. Yeah. So, thank you. Anthony, for being on the show. And scene. <laughs> well, almost. First, you got to tell people where they can find oh. out about you and your work yeah. and things like okay, that. So cool. people actually want to take you up on that acting class thing, yeah. where, where can they do that? Or, you know, just follow my blog or whatever. Um, well, you yeah. can go to www.anthonymindl.com. And, uh, or I also have these popular videos on YouTube that are just about creating. It's not just, it's not about acting really. It's about creating, being more creative. And that's youtube.com backslash Anthony Mindel. Um, there's that. There's also something else I was hoping you'd plug, but you were so selfless you didn't. No. You have a new, a new book. Oh, I will plug it. Soup for Grown Ups. <laughs> so I'll plug it for yeah. you because people should know about audio that. audio-visual. That one. 26 Ways to Worry, Be Happy, and Get Over Yourself. It's a good book. People who read this, and the other one, that Left Brain Turn Right. So if you're interested in creativity and fear and hacking the voices in your head, you've written about it. You've trained world-class actors about it. It's like you're an authority in the field and you've written some good stuff. So uh, people who want to learn more, they can check out your videos, they can check out your blog, and they can buy one of your books. And we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes as well. Awesome, thank you. Thank you for your time on the show. Dave, thank you. It was really amazing. You're doing great work. I love your coffee. That's not just, you know, a random plug. It's true. And I love what you're doing. I appreciate people who are innovators and out there like starting new conversations. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. And thanks to all of your fans that are listening. It's really a cool forum. Uh, likewise have an awesome day thanks Dave yeah let's stay in touch yeah absolutely okay coolio 
A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.